is Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 336. The Bible clearly states that Yeshua was crucified on a Friday. My name is Caleb Hag. Happy, uh, is it Leprechaun Day? What do we call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. St. Patrick. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm Rob Van Huff. Are you wearing green, buddy? No, I'm I, I'm not Irish. Check this one out. Are you ready for this? It's Irish, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, my mom told me that uh, that in her day and age at school, the uh, the Irish would wear the green, but if you were Protestant, you wore orange. I heard that too, yeah. Now, I had not heard of this until about 20 minutes before we uh, came on air, and I have no idea why the Protestants would wear orange, but if I suppose... If anybody knows, let us know. Yeah. I suppose that orange is what I should be wearing. Because I oppose the Pope. Maybe it's a way of, because pumpkins are orange (laughs) and they, and Protestants don't want to celebrate Halloween. They transferred their desire to to use the orange color. Here we go. Here we go. The the hypothesis begins. Okay. Uh, How's it going, man? Going very well. Thank you. It is St. Patty's Day. Which is interesting. Yeah, my, the only reason I knew that is because my computer had a little thing that said snooze or close. I'm like, close. I don't need to see that. I, I tell you what, my uh, my uh, my daughter, I don't know what got into her, but she is pumped this year for St. Patty's Day. She's talking about pinching you can have people. Corn, and corn beef and cabbage. Oh, I love corned beef. But the, the point here, but here's the thing is that I think it's interesting that the Irish celebrate an English missionary. St. Pat is that is that it? Oh. Yeah, St. Patrick's was St. Patrick was uh, was English. He went to evangelize the Irish. There's your bit of history for today. Okay, put that done to get a rainbow. And- <laughs> oh no, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Rob Van Hoff attempting to do a Irish accent. It's magically delicious. <laughs> it's almost as bad as my dad's. <laughs> All right. Uh, so besides St. Patty's Day, you gonna are you? Well, let's stay on there for just one more second. You gonna have a uh, you gonna have yourself a Guinness today or what? That's a that would be a good thing. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it. That's a possibility. I, I don't drink. I don't drink much uh, alcohol. Yeah, I don't drink any alcohol anymore. My uh, my trans my transition to Baptist is almost complete. <laughs> uh Okay, um, let's let's get a little bit more serious here, eh? Um, let me just uh, tell you guys about this. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. That is the number that you can call to leave us a message. You want to talk to us? You can yell, scream, talk softly, whatever you want. We like it if you leave your name, but you don't have to do that either. Uh, disagree, agree, love us, hate us, doesn't matter. Leave us a message. And uh, it might get played on air. You never can tell. Uh, also, you can shoot us emails if you don't like using your voice. C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. It's C-H-E-G at TorahResource.com. We are working currently. By the way, another big shout out to uh, Alexander uh, for getting us uh, MessiahMatters.com and MessiahMatters.org. We are going to use that. Uh, we are working on it slowly but surely. We are creating a website. So anyway, uh, as that... As that goes on, uh, we will keep you updated. And uh, I suppose that for that uh, for that right, we will put uh, Alexander in our uh, producer credits for the spring quarter coming up. And you can also become a producer of our spring quarter. Go to TorahResource.com, hover over, what is it, resources? Yes, and then down to Messiah Matters. All the information is right there for you. Um and uh, Lee in the chat room says, I heard St. Pat kept Shabbat. Yeah, actually, there's an, uh, my, my dad has a great book on the Celts and the Celtic Christian tradition. Many of them kept, kept the Shabbat well into uh, like the Reformation era, which anyway, uh, really interesting book. Uh, what year? Here's because I totally don't know. Yes. I totally don't know. I don't. It's not even a partial don't know. Okay. When... Does do historians place Pat uh, Saint Patrick? Good question. I that is one I don't. Well, let's let's go to Rabbi Google real quick. Saint Patrick, Patrick, birth, and it says that uh, 
St. Patrick. Like 7th or 8th century kind of thing? Well, all it says is that he was a missionary. Hang on just a sec. Here we go. No, no, no. It's way after that. Um, I don't know. Mythical. March 7th. Feast is on March 17th. Well, this is one for that we're going to have to send over to the chat room. Chat room, uh, dating. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's earlier. Anyway, um, what's the book? A good question. I'll, I have to look for the name of the book. Okay, hang on. We're all over the place right now. Uh, finally, before we get started into more nonsense conversation about before Patrick, we get all over the place somewhere yeah, else, before we go down more rabbit trails, uh, don't forget to subscribe. There's your uh, there's your visual uh, guide for you. Subscribe, hit that bell, uh, and we will love you forever. That's right. We love our subscribers, so do it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the actual, the more important season here is we're in the first week of the first month of the year. We're in yes, Nissan. Nissan. And spring Happy is... Happy New Year! Yeah, yeah. And so, you know... I have f- failed as a father, by the way, and I can tell you that because the other day we were walking out of Target and I was like, hey, kids, Happy New Year. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, uh, I have failed my family. That's okay. Um, yeah, Nissan, man, and that means we're coming up to. A pa- and that was my that was my uh, my comments when we came in. You know, every year I see these same pictures that are just continually reposted from One Nineteen Ministries and other places that have Yeshua die on. It's a timeline where Yeshua dies on a Wednesday. Um, this can be proven from the text not to be true. Yeshua clearly died on a Friday. That's the only way that the biblical text is is reconciled to itself. Oh, look at that. Randy pulled it up. 386 AD. St. Patrick's. There you go. Fourth century. Okay. Fourth century. I, was I was I was way off, man. I thought I thought uh, you know, 1200s. I don't know why I got that in my mind. There you go. 386 AD. Thank you, Randy. Our chat room wins again. That's um, early. You know what wow. I forgot to do? I don't even have a soundboard up here. Let's see if this crashes our system real quick for me to get my soundboard up. If we go away real uh, suddenly, that's uh, probably why, is because I'm trying to now pull up a soundboard. Anyway, okay, should we get into our actual conversation here? I feel like we have a lot to talk about today. Maybe we don't. I guess we'll find out. Um, You want to launch in, or do you still want to talk about St. Patty's Day? No, I thought we'd shifted to uh, Pesach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shift. Go. Oh yeah, well here we are. It's it's time to prepare. I don't think you've failed as a father. Just oh, thank you. Footnote there. Thank you. Um, the uh, it's a, it's I'm really grateful for so much. And you know, reading this week back through the commandments for Pesach, it says you will remember to in Deuteronomy 16 all the days of your life, right? It, that we're to remember God's deliverance every day. That's right. You know, and it's and it's also uh, part of the Shabbat command, as we remember, not only creation, but the redemption. So this, this concept of viewing ourselves as a redeemed people is fundamental to how we view the world. It has to be our first way of thinking about who we are and who uh, what our identity is, is redeemed by Yeshua. Yeah. Because if, if, and, and it's so easy in this world to get, uh, to get those priorities mixed up, especially, you know, if you, you know, I've had, I'm sure all of us have had seasons where you look at the news too much, for example, and there's political stuff going on. And then, and pretty soon, those are the first things you're thinking about, you know, is politics or, or some other thing. And that's, that, that's, that's upside down. Um, our priorities to be thinking about, the things of the kingdom and who we are and, and who we are as a redeemed people. And the whole calendar system is here for us. God gave it to us to help us to build up his ecclesia. It's, it's, uh, it's good for us. It's, um, uh, t- it teaches us to think correctly, to have our priorities in order to, uh, take every thought captive and say, you know what? Okay, I've, I notice I've been uh, reading the news a lot lately, and I'm I'm getting emotional. You know, I'm getting worked up. I'm not saying that there's not a place to to have a, a strong 
political opinion. If you're in a, you know, in the United States, we have a certain tone of that. Uh, other nations have different tones. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, is it the, uh, is it Seventh-day Adventist? Who are the ones that they're like, like they won't even have an American flag, for example. I, I don't know if that's, or Jehovah's Witness, maybe. Maybe it's the Jehovah's Witness. I don't think that we're called to be uh, disengaged from our local uh, governments at all, but it needs to be in proper context. And I, and I see, especially this last year, I, you know, I lean towards thinking that the, the Christian church in America had their priorities wrong. And, and, and clearly, I think it was it you telling me, Caleb, that they someone did a contrast of prophets, quote, yeah. Christian prophets. Yeah. 2019, no one told any, you know, no one was prophesying of a, of a coming uh, pandemic. Uh, and then the, in 2020, they're all prophesying about politics and then they're all wrong. And, and, and it's like, okay, obviously the church in America needs a giant chiropractic adjustment or, or, you know, or some sort of refining of values in a, in a reprioritization of, of what's important. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling there. That's okay. I want to see if you can uh, hear this real quick. Actually, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just tell me if you can hear this. That's a bell. Okay. That's the wrong thing. My, my soundboard's <laughs> off. Let's do one more and just see if I can, uh, if, if this is off too. Sponsored by Ace Religious Supply, where they say, if we don't got it, it ain't holy. Yeah. Okay. I, that, that one's right. Okay. Good to know. Okay. Here we go. Um, let's, let's, it's not Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's move into, uh, this is from our good friend, Joel over in the Philippines. Now he, he's written us twice now on this. And uh, these are on two of the small, uh, smaller clips, the short clips that I clipped during the week. Uh, if you missed our last show, three, three, five, we talked about Passover tradition and, uh, and so Joel, Joel writes in and he says uh, two different comments. So we'll read them individually. The first one is this. He says, hi, what then is the practical application after knowing about this? That is that, that most of the Passover traditions that we have for a traditional Passover Seder are late inventions by within Judaism, essentially, or attributing meaning to something that was not originally uh, Jewish tradition. And he goes on. I mean, there clearly was tradition being upheld and practiced by Yeshua and his disciples during that time, regardless of the origin. Okay, let's stop right there for just a second. Because the the question that I would have to ask is, what tradition do we see? What we see, what people have taken as tradition that pertains to a Passover tradition is not Passover tradition. So, for instance... Uh, reclining at table, that was done, and you can see this when the, within the apostolic scriptures, that was done at every major meal. Every major major dinner, people reclined at table. And we see this even when he feeds the 5,000. Okay? So that wasn't a tradition that pertained to Passover. Same with dipping. What they did was, and they, this still happens over in the in the in uh, certain places in the Middle East, they'll bring in these, these bowls, and then everybody just sits around a bowl and you, you use your hands and you basically dip your bread or whatever, your rice yeah, or whatever, yeah. into the bowl. And so when it says that he dipped his hand, you know, the hand that dips with me is, well, this isn't talking about a Passover tradition. This is talking about the way that they actually ate in that time period. So this doesn't have to do with tradition. So when we look at tradition, now, what are the traditions that we can get out of the Passover narratives within the Gospels? I think there is some tradition. After the meal, they uh, they recited a hymn, right? So, I mean, this this could be. I think a, it was onward, Christian soldiers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, marching out <laughs> to war. I mean, a lot of people have suggested that this is a, the Hallel Psalms. Okay, I think so. I, and, and I, I'm totally down with that. That's totally fine. Um, but that that was probably a tradition that we could cite. Whether it was a Passover tradition or if, whether or not it was just a meal custom that that the that Yeshua and his disciples did after every meal, we don't know. But that would be the one that I would point to. Besides that, I don't see any other tradition except for the idea of a lamb being at the table. That that we can nail down to that is Yeshua's Passover tradition. So I don't see. I, I mean, I'm not trying to burst anybody's bubble here, but I just don't see a lot of. It's not like we can look at the Gospels and say, "Aha." There's Yeshua's Passover tradition. 
So, okay, let's keep well, going. Well, here's another, here's another presupposition I make about it is that they talked about the, the Exodus because that's yeah, a commandment. Absolutely. Anything, now, but okay, if you, any, but if all we read was the, uh, the accounts in the gospels, there's no mention of the Exodus. Right. And, and so that, does that mean, so I'm, I'm, a, even though I lean towards minimalist in terms of importing later, you know, rabbinic presentations sure. of what the Passover is, I'm a minimalist with pushing that back. At the same time, I'm going to be a maximalist going forward from the commandment. So if the commandment is you're going to eat matzah, you're going to eat bitter herbs on the 14th of Nisan, along with a roasted lamb. Yes. And you're going to remember the Exodus. Yes. You're going to talk about redemption. Yep. I, I, even though it's not literally in the text of the synoptics, I'm going to affirm that is part of the commandment. And they did that. Absolutely. Okay. And, and, and th- this is a great point. One of the, in one of, in a lot of the books that I've read in terms of the, of the Eucharist and the Last Supper, uh, Joachim Jeremias, he, his work has been translated into English. Okay. And his is kind of like the starting point for so many studies. Everyone, everybody mentions this book and references this book and quotes this book. So of course I read this book. Uh, he argues that Yeshua didn't actually eat the Passover lamb. Now I, because of this, I go into a whole, uh, a whole line of thought that it's a command to eat the lamb and you shall eat it. And the temple is standing. Therefore, if Yeshua didn't eat the lamb, he's transgressing a commandment and therefore he, uh, the last thing he does before he goes to the cross is sin. So obviously anything that's commanded within the Torah, we assume Yeshua did. However, how they did that, in other words, the tradition in how that's wrapped up, because certainly Joel is right in his comment. Yeshua certainly had Passover tradition that he held to and that he did every single year. I have no doubt about that. But the problem is, is that to look at the at the Gospels and say this is this is a Passover tradition that we don't have, we can't find that, and so uh, this is why people will say, well, how should I keep a Passover seder? And it's like that's a good question. How do you and your family or you and your community want to keep a Passover tradition or keep a Passover seder? That's up to you. Uh, you know, if you want to go by a standard order order of service, you can do that. If you want to kind of make it up as you go along, there's nothing that would say otherwise. Okay, let's keep going with Joel's comment, though. So he says, uh, during that time, regardless of origin, should we then take out some of the elements of the Seder? Can't they be considered neutral at the very least? Uh, Of course. And this is, I mean, this is the point that I tried to make last week is what I personally did was I stripped what I thought was Jewish rabbinic tradition. I tried to leave what I thought was early Christian tradition. And then I tried to build, you know, build back up in that. Now, with that said, my family and my community, we still use Seder plates. That's a tradition. That is not, we, we don't find that anywhere. That's late. That's a late tradition. We still have the elements of the Seder plate, also tradition. And uh, we do touch on the elements on the Seder plate, also tradition. So I'm not saying there's anything bad with tradition. What I'm saying is, is that it's important for us to recognize what is tradition and that we are ascribing to tradition. In other words, the idea that the Karaites, you know, Karaite Judaism kind of rose as this like, oh, uh, yeah, this is this is the right thing to do within the Torah movement. I don't know when. Um, but the idea that Karaite Judaism doesn't hold to any tradition, that's a tradition. Anyone who says that they don't hold to any tra- tradition, that's not true. They're deceiving themselves and they're deceiving you. Um, or they're trying to. We all hold to tradition, all of us. And, uh, you know, Mike tells this great story of a lady who said, well, I don't want any tradition in our service. And he said, okay, I might be butchering this, but, uh, and Mike said, well, okay, do you think we should sing some songs? She said, yeah. He said, do you think we should read the Bible? She said, yeah. He said, okay, do you think that somebody should speak on the, on the, uh, Bible passage? Yeah. Okay. Should we do it in that order every, every, should we pray? (laughs) Yeah. Should we pray? Yes. Should we do it in that order every Shabbat? Yeah. That's a tradition. You've just created your own tradition. So, um, no matter what you're doing, basically the idea is you're holding to some tradition. I had one guy one time tell me, oh, I don't, you know, I said, well, what about your tzitzit? I see that they're tied a certain way. He said, yeah, but I tie each one of them differently so that there's no tradition. Well, that in and of itself That's is a, a tradition. tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so it's, a, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying that people should necessarily do what I did and just throw everything out and start from scratch or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that 
um, to, uh, to, to sit down at a, at a Passover table and say, ah, yes, Yeshua clearly had four cups, just like we have four cups. And this was the cup of, you know, so he, at this point he was drinking the cup of salvation. And he was yeah, putting, we just don't know that. that yeah, that's just, just not, that's not, I don't think that that's valid. Okay, let's keep going. Another comment by Joel, and this is kind of along the same lines, but maybe even more expanded. He says, maybe validity is not the issue in ter- terms of tradition, Jewish tradition. He says, maybe validity is not the issue, but meaningfulness. For Messianics, whether Jew or Gentile, who do not come from a Jewish background, celebrating the Shabbat and feasts is a Jewish manner, in a Jewish manner, gives us that Hebraic and Jewish connection, much like using Yeshua over Jesus, even though both may be said as uh, said to be valid. And in trying to observe some of these traditions that have historical and biblical basis, and which even Yeshua and his disciples took on as their custom, we feel a better sense of connection to them. We are pointed uh, to our Hebraic origins, and we get an idea how to observe the Moedim. Otherwise, we will be reinventing the wheel with the possible pitfall of integrating pagan traditions. Then we're back to the Holy Roman Empire. Years and years spending time at our former churches did not produce those results, only replacement and dispensational theologies. Also, uh, hang on just a sec. I want to be very careful there because although that might be the, uh, the experience that many have had and maybe even the majority have had, that is not necessarily the experience that we've all had. I know several churches in my city alone that are Bible-based that do not teach replacement theology or dispensational theology. Okay, anyway, he ends his email with this. Also, we must be careful promoting Christian services, especially the modern ones. Many are highly uh, commercialized, secularized, and even politicized. Just my humble opinion. Okay, Lot to unpack here. Do you want to go first, or you want me to? Okay. Um, I, I was thinking, like, what I'm hearing. One of the points that Joel made that stuck out is like, well, we we say Yeshua. Why do we want to say Yeshua rather than Jesus? That's a, and he's saying, is that the same reason? Whatever that reason is, is it the is it rooted in the same? Uh, uh, impulse to to say, I want to look at a rabbinic siddur. In my world, those are separate things. Those To me, those aren't the same impulse. The reason I like to say Yeshua is, uh, is not the same reason. I mean, it, it's not connected to a desire to um, use rabbinic literature to try to paint a background for the gospel. I, I, I would totally agree with you. And I would go a step farther. You know, I think that there is a notion within the Torah movement that if I go into a synagogue or a, a messianic synagogue, I don a talit and a kippah, a yarmulke, and, um, you know, the Torah is paraded around and people kiss it. And, uh, you know, there all these different things that I'm doing what Yeshua did. These traditions are late traditions. They are not things that we had in the first century. This does not connect you back to Yeshua. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. If you want to put on a talit and a kippah and you want to daven at a synagogue, that's up to you. I'm not going to say that, that's, that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. However, what I am going to say is that the idea that this connects you to the first century Yeshua that was that went to the synagogue as was his custom. It doesn't. That they weren't doing these things in the first century. These are later traditions. So it's fine that that might make you feel like you're better connected to the Jewish people, which may be. You may have a better connect, you know, you might feel better connected to the the modern state of Israel, modern Judaism by doing a lot of these customs. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're better connected to the first century synagogue because most of what I would say, the majority of what we have within Judaism and within modern Jewish tradition is late. It wasn't going on in Yeshua's time. Now, I'm with Rob on the idea that, okay, Yeshua's name, yeah, I mean, and I interchange 
Yeshua and Jesus regularly, even in my sermons, which I'm sure people at, at the church that I co-pastor, I mean, I'm sure that they're probably confused Is often about Is he talking about, about the same guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, but even my kids now know, you know, and they'll they'll switch too. So I mean, anyway, the point is is that uh, you know we would have to actually and and Joel to Joel, I would have to ask the question: Which specific traditions are you talking about? Now, if we're talking about the Moedim, once again, many of the Moedim, and when we say Moedim, for those who might not know, we're talking about the uh, high holy days found within the within the scriptures. So things like Yom Kippur, certainly fasting goes back prior to the first century on Yom Kippur. Isaiah talks about the great fast, and, and it seems as though he's talking about he's talking about Yom Kippur. Um, so things like this, certainly we can say yes, uh, but it seems, once again, we're talking about biblical commands, you know, the command to afflict your soul. So, and the fact that Isaiah talks about it as a fast seems to imply that biblically this was a accepted biblical tradition. So I think there's a difference between doing things that the Bible teaches us to do and uh, trying to adopt Jewish tradition, modern Jewish tradition, in order to transport us back to the first century. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that, I think being to the Philippines, I've been to the Philippines three times now, I've seen the heart and the love that the, uh, that a spe- and Joel is part of the uh, Asian Pacific Messianic Fellowship. Uh, he's one of the leaders of that organization. And, uh, you know, the the love and joy that these people have, uh, not only for the word, but also for Israel and the Jewish people, it, 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 it's inspiring, honestly. And so I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong with the way that the uh, Asian Pacific Messianic Fellowship is doing things or anything like that. All I'm saying is, is that w- to try to categorize the idea of putting on a kippah and a tallit as something that Yeshua did, we're historically we're in error to say, oh, this is what Yeshua did. This isn't connecting you to the first century. Now, if it's connecting you to, to the Jewish people and to Israel, and you think that it's bringing you closer to God, more power to you. That's that's totally fine. But it's, I, I just think that we need to be careful of where we're trying to say, oh, this goes back to the first century, if that makes sense. Anything else on that, Rob? Oh, that's right. I mean, we talked. I think last week we talked about the tradition to have a. Uh, a place set for Elijah the prophet. Right. Um, and Yeshua makes it clear that we are to separate the commandments of God from the traditions of man. Those have to be separate. If they be, if, if we conflate those together and, and that, that happens, there's people who can, who grow up in uh, the Jewish world going to yeshiva you know, when they read the Bible, they, all the rabbinic commentaries are there in their mind. And, and sometimes it can be difficult for them to know the difference between the storytelling about what the text says over against just what the plain text says, because it's all one big tradition. Yeshua's disciples are, are given a, a clear mandate to keep those separate. It doesn't mean that tradition is bad. It just means tradition left of its own devices because of the human heart takes over. And that's why, you know, thinking about back to the Passover lessons about leaven, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, beware of the leaven of the Herodians, right? Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. What is he talking about? He's talking about traditions of interpreting the scriptures that have in puffed up and have become governing um, the governing view for those groups. So we can see that, that they can't set that, that now they, they're not really reading the scripture anymore. They're, they're just promoting their own agenda over and over again, rather than having actual walk with God, with scriptures, with the idea of being unleavened. And we see people. this, we see this not only in, in, uh, you know, Judaism or anything like, you know, it's across the board. Yeshua, uh, you know, he, brings this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But then we also see the same thing. Tradition has overcome, uh, you know, in the first centuries, over overtakes the Christian church, which turns into Roman Catholicism and the Eastern Orthodox. Tradition has certainly uh, overruled 
the commandments of God. The iconoclast uh, debates and all those kind of things prove this. Um, and yeah, and, right. This is not. This is a human heart problem. This is not yeah. a Pharisee problem. That's the other thing. Is how many times have I seen the Pharisees as like this as like the throw who we throw under the bus, right? right. In the church, and it's like, wait a minute. That's not what Yeshua is not setting up. You know, setting them or the Sadducees or scribes or whatever, so that we can all just you know you know, unload on those guys. That's not the point. The point is like the, in religion, what happens? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, sir. Okay. Let's move on. We got, uh, we got two more big, big ticket issues here. Well, not really. Let's, let's go with Mr. C. Mr. C is actually in the uh, chat room right now. And so this will be good. Um, so Mr. C says, good day. Good day to you, sir. A good day to you. <laughs> Torah portions, how are they conducted? I am looking at them as a form of corporate worship done by association, associated congregations, assemblies, and individuals, so as to all be on the same sheet of music throughout the week and year. I can't seem to get a clear answer looking online. It looks as if they are to be done throughout a week. I read conflicting info about this. It seems as if it is to be accomplished in three sections throughout the week, but looks to start on a Monday prayer service, then Wednesday, followed by a recap on Saturday. This seems logical to me. Okay. Um, yes and no. First of all, in the first century, we think they were probably on a three-year cycle, not a one-year cycle. Um, now you can find three-year cycles online. Torah Resource actually has a three-year cycle and a one-year cycle. The one-year cycle basically kept everyone uh, reading. And this is a good question. Was it to keep everybody reading the same thing? Possibly. I think it was probably more to accomplish reading the entire Torah in a one-year period. But I think a byproduct was actually keeping people uh, on the same path in the same reading cycles. Um, so trying to read the Torah in one, one year cycle, uh, I think was actually the, the move the the, the, what yeah. they were trying it's to do. It's a pretty, it's a pretty intense pace. It's a very right? intense pace. But the idea that in both cases, it, Torah education is the, is the intent and, and repetition. In other words, you're going to get to the end and guess what? You're going to start over again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of how, how things are supposed to be read, I don't, I mean, once again, I don't necessarily think that the main, uh, the main point was to try to get everybody on the same page. Uh, in fact, you know, okay, we see this within Judaism predominantly, but I think it does apply. I think it's actually kind of a biblical, uh, a biblical precedent. And the idea is ask your local rabbi. You know, Moses' uh, father-in-law says, you're doing this all wrong. You know, choose people over thousands, over hundreds, over, you know, and he's talking about judges, but I think that this might actually go into the idea of each individual congregation. You have leaders for a reason. Um, I think that in in this respect, it's good for congregations to be on the same reading cycle. And so if your congregation splits, uh, you know, reads through the Torah once a year, that's great. And if they want to split it up and say, hey, try reading this throughout the week or whatever, I think that's great as well. Um Right now, our, the congregation that I help co-pastor, we are on an every other week schedule. So every other week, we read from the one-year Torah portion. And then every other week, we read out of the Apostolic Scriptures. We're in Colossians right now. And so um, the, and we encourage the people in the congregation to read the actual Torah portion, the weekly Torah portion, with their family each week, whether or not we're studying it in, in the uh, service or not. But that's our tradition. You know, back to tradition, right? That's our tradition. And and if your congregation does it a different way, that's uh that is that's totally fine. Ultimately, to answer Mr. C, I think the reason that you're having a hard time finding something online on how to actually do this is because people don't expect you to do it the way that they do it. People expect you to be in a congregation and to do it the way that the congregation does it. Well, and this last year has been a great example because right. you know, locally We've been doing the, um, well, we did one year cycle, then we did two times through the three year cycle and then shifted back to the one year cycle. But so uh, locally on the one year cycle, whereas for Torah resource for students who are participating in and taking classes, they're part of the weekly 
Taurus study that we do there. And that's on the three-year cycle. Right. So there's times where I've got a foot in both, both worlds like that. But it, just within the, the, the one-year cycle, this last year, there was a discrepancy between, in the rabbinic world, if you were in Israel versus if you were in the diaspora. Right. So there was a few months where they were one off. And then people who looked to an American resource would say, you're on the, you're on the wrong, right. You know, you're a week ahead. And it's like, no, we're just following the one year cycle as it's in Israel, which I think is the one that Mike put up for Torah resource. That was just the one year cycle is that of the land of Israel. But if you were following like some American Jewish institution, you would have had a discrepancy. So, so yeah, there's times where you were, even though you uh, overall are seeking to be part of a larger cyclical liturgical kind of tradition, it's going to have some, some bumps. Yeah. Um, Love is bigger asks, how does this influence daily prayer times or does it, if that question makes any sense? I mean, I don't think it does. Ultimately the three times uh, within modern Judaism, uh, they pray three times a day, and they do that in accordance with the uh, the morning, afternoon, and evening sacrifices that would have been taking place in the temple, which obviously is no longer standing. Um, if you read some of the later confessions, such as the 1689 confession, uh, uh, Baptist confession, they say that uh, there is no a specific time or place where a Christian needs to pray because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should pray all the time. And so, uh, there, and I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think that there's... Um, I don't think that there's necessarily a set time that we should pray. Um, I think that as believers, we should be in prayer as much as possible. Um, however, I do believe that every believer should set aside a time to pray every single day. Um, that where there's no where there's no distractions or where you're doing prayer with your family or whatever, uh, time to actually come before the uh, throne of God. It's set time for that. Whether that's in the morning, afternoon, evening, I don't think that, that that's up to you and your family. Most most people, if they don't set apart reg- time, a fixed time, it's not going to be regular. I mean, it, it. I mean, just the nature of of habit is such that, you know, putting having a fixed time is a big. I mean, use it to your advantage, you know. Um, but yeah, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Right. Okay, Kelly, who also is in the chat room. Writes in, she says, I have someone who's genuinely trying to understand and I want to answer them in the right direction as best as I know how. Here's the question. How slash why did Jesus pray to his to pray to God if he is God? Now, this is the age old question. I think that every uh, child, teenager and adult has asked this to themselves at some point within their walk. And uh, I don't think that. Uh, hang on just a sec. We do have to pause real quick because Joseph in the chat room does say the book of Acts shows early believers praying at fixed times. Well, the temple was still standing. They went to the temple during the morning, afternoon, and evening sacrifices. Well, and you could, you could say, right? Even Daniel did. Yeah, the sixth hour. He says, and the there sixth was no. Uh... Yeah, he says sixth hour and ninth hour. Yeah, those were the times of the sacrifices. And I'm not saying that that that, that we shouldn't do that too. I'm just saying that. The uh, the reason that they were praying at those hours in the temple was because that was the time of the of the offering. It was a collective prayer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not. And if that's what people want to do, that's great. You know, I tried to do that one time too. I tried to get uh, our congregation, not the current congregation that I'm in, but a different congregation that I was part of. I tried to get people to come any hour of, or uh, at specific hours in the day to the congregation and pray, and uh, it didn't work. No one showed up people work. So, okay. Back to the idea of why did Jesus pray to God if he is God? Yeah. So moving on with this, um, the, the, the point here is that everyone asks this question, right? And this is one of the, if people are opposing the deity of our Lord, uh, they, this is inevitably one of the ways that they will go. Oh, well, Jesus prayed to himself. Then why would he pray to himself if he is God? Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I'll talk about it. Go. Um, good question. I, I get the two two things 
come to mind for me? I have to, first of all, I have to say, I haven't really thought about this question for a while, but it is, it's a good question, is that we, the, the Godhead is a relationship. And there's something about when God created us, we are to be in relationship. And that's, relationship is a mystery. I mean, I've been married for over a quarter of a century, and I learn new things about my wife more and more, right? And I learn more things about myself because I love her and trust her, right? And so we can all who've been, and it doesn't have to be a husband-wife relationship, but I'm just saying long-term relationship that is uh, puts God first and is prayerful and seeks, seeks to grow in what is good and true and real, Right, we're gonna. There's there's uh, a a discovery and a, a growth in wisdom and understanding. There's something about re- human relationship in its best, most beautiful expression, according to God's design. That is to teach us about the Godhead, also. So there's 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 a mystery there. But regarding the question about Yeshua praying, for example, in the garden like Abba Father, right? Like, or any time where Yeshua prays to the Father. We could also put next to those places where, and uh, like where the Father says, behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So, so now we have a place where the Father testifies of the Son. Or uh, just recently we're reading in Mark, so it's fresh in my mind, where Yeshua is telling his disciples, he's like, you know, this is what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be trial. You're going to be put on, uh, put before synagogues and governors. And he says, but don't, don't try to plan in advance what you're going to say, because it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit will speak. And so, so you have these other kinds of scriptures where you have, different persons of what we say of the triune God testifying of each other. Like when, like Yeshua says, David spoke by the Holy Spirit when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right? So you have, you have a mystery of the Godhead that is expressed, and we see it in these different little glimpses in the scriptures. And of course, in at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we see it, you know, the, the marching orders for for the disciples of Yeshua is to go out and to be and to be teaching, be teachers, which is really Torah teachers, Torah of the Messiah teachers. It means you're not teaching Torah according to the Sadducean way. You're not teaching it like the Essenes. You're not even teaching it exactly like the the Pharisees. You're teaching it as Yeshua taught it, and in the name, right? And baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the God is a mystery. Um, and re, re, if you say, okay, so still go back to the main point of Yeshua praying. Well, Yeshua, as a person who prays, like we don't see the, the Father praying to the Son. We don't see the Holy Spirit praying to Yeshua. The prayer and the priestly duty, priestly duty of intercession is unique to the son. That is, it's unique to the son. Um, uh, It says he ever lives to intercede for us in the the epistle to the Hebrews. So, and and I understand that as Yeshua as our high priest. That doesn't mean that's all who Yeshua is, but it's, it is part of redemption Part of our uh, reconciliation with the Father is Yeshua's intercessory work on our behalf. All right, good. That, uh, that's what comes. That's what let, comes to let, mind for me. You go. You talk. Let Let me step in here. Um, I think that uh, this question ultimately brings up a uh, several different uh, sides of theology. First of all. Uh, what is happening in the incarnation? Yeshua is 
yod Hey vav Hey. He is one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and this is one of the reasons, or one of the things, and I, I've said this many times on the show, I try to stay away from the traditional wording of persons within the triune, triune God. I do believe in the Trinity. I am a full-fledged member of uh, Trinitarian theology. I, I uphold it. I think the Bible uh, preaches it firmly. Um, with that said, I think the the word persons usually brings something specific to our minds, which might get us off track. With that said, uh, what happens in right? The- I agree because persona. I didn't originally it meant mask. Yeah, and so the idea of like that. Oh, it's 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 one God wearing like just changing masks. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that's helpful at all. I don't think that's what we're right. supposed to see. Well, and and ultimately that that uh, tends to bring people into modalism. I believe right, that God, exactly. I believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I believe that we have been created in His image to, in some way, reflect who God is. Um, with that said, Philippians two five through eleven paints us a picture of exactly what happens in the incarnation. It says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is in your, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." So he and a lot of times people say, "Well, he gave up his his omniscience. He gave up his his godly attributes." This is totally wrong. Yeshua never gave up any of his uh, attributes. He set aside. That is, he did not use them. He set aside his his attributes. And in this, we have the uh, doctrine that was was uh, within the church that was uh, strongly debated about whether or not Yeshua, and this uh, goes to the Nestorian controversy and, and others, but whether or not Yeshua had two wills, that is the will the, uh, uh, the will of deity, the, the will of God, in other words, and the will of man, and whether or not he has two wills, and not just wills, but two, um, yeah, I, I suppose will would be, would be the, uh, one of the words. Um, anyway, the, the point is, is that no, uh, Yeshua has... Uh, is, is and they they reconcile this by saying he has two natures. Uh, he is truly man, and this must be because to die on the cross and to pay the the penalty of sin, he had to be truly human, and he truly had to die. Thus, he is truly human. So that's one nature. Two natures is what I was looking for. Uh, so that's one nature, and the other nature is that he is truly God. He is truly yod Vavhe, And so uh, this is, uh, you can read all about this within the within church history and, and whatnot. But with that said, now let's go to Will. Within those, uh, within his two natures, his uh, truly being God and truly being man, he has two wills. The will of his, of his human, his human will was to not feel pain like any of us would be. Right? So when he says, not my will, but yours be done, first of all, he has set aside his omniscience. He has set aside his, uh, his all-knowingness, right? We, and that's not a word, but I just made it up. Uh, you know, the, he says, uh, no one knows this, uh, not even the son, only the father. Um, and so the idea that he knows all, he has, he has set this aside. He set aside a lot of things. Think about the, this, that the almighty, all-powerful God that uh, created all things uh, came as a baby and wet himself. I mean, this is, you know, throughout the scripture, we are told that this is a mystery. Um, so with all of this said, uh, Yeshua has set aside much of his, uh, his godly nature in order to come truly as a human, truly as a man, to be able to experience and to pay the price for sin. And in this, he, uh, he has to submit to the Father's will, although his uh, divine will is the Father's will. His human will wants to not die because that is human nature. And uh, it is natural and a, a normal thing for a human to need, not to want, to need to pray. Just as much as breathing. You know, somebody asked Spurgeon one time, what's more important, uh, reading your Bible every day or praying every day? And Spurgeon said, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? The point is, is that prayer <laughs> in the That's life good. of a believer 
is, is a necessity. It is not an option. It's not as if Yeshua could have come in the form of a man and had a human nature and not prayed because he had a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, it is a necessity to pray just as much as it is to breathe. And so the point is, is that, uh, uh, you know, Yeshua, that relationship between the Father, he has set aside his omniscience, he's set aside all these other things, and now there is this need to pray. He has to have, I mean, it is a necessity. So I, the, the question for me is not, why did he pray? The question would be, could he have ever not prayed? And I think that the answer is no. If Yeshua is truly man, then he truly had to pray to, to sustain a relationship uh, a, a healthy relationship with the father. That's, that's my two cents on it. All right. Shall we put that in the, in the bag as checked off? Uh, it, and <laughs> Kelly, I know sorry. that Kelly's in the chat room. If, uh, if that didn't answer it, if that didn't answer your question, satisfactory, uh, write me again and we'll, we'll dive back in. All right. We have two comments that are essentially the same. One is by Paul, one is by Clayton. We'll read Paul's first. This will give you a good clue of what's, what the question is. So, just asking for clarity. And this had to do, I don't remember what video this was on. These were both on the same video, but we were talking about tradition and saving faith and, and all, these kind of, uh, all these kind of things. So, But I think that the, the, the questions stand alone. We can answer them uh, alone without even going back into the video. So, Paul writes, so just asking for clarity. Is Saturday the Sabbath? Yes. If you keep it because you believe that that is what is being asked of you and you desire to be obedient, that is good, right? Yes. If you don't keep it due to ignorance, let's just say your eyes have not uh, been open yet, that's okay, right? No. I don't want people to think that I'm saying that sinning is okay because you're ignorant. This is one of the reasons that the that the temple service has a uh, an offering for unintentional sins. Just because it's unintentional doesn't mean that you're not guilty of it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's right. So um, ig- because a person is ignorant of something, that might mean that we need to be uh, gracious to them um, if something hasn't been revealed to them yet. But it doesn't mean that we need to just say, oh, it's not a big deal. I would say this about the church. I have many brothers and sisters in the Lord who believe, A, that the Sabbath has been done away with, or B, that the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday. Does their ignorance uh, dismiss them from, from the sin of not observing the Sabbath? I would say, no, it does not. At the same time, their faith in the Messiah uh, has reconciled them to the Father and has declared them not guilty. Now, that is, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to, to steer them in the right direction. But to say something like, you're going to hell because you're not keeping the Sabbath, is incorrect. That's the point. Is it an offense to the Almighty? Yes. Are there things that I do, that Rob does, that all of our listeners do, that are uh, an offense to the Almighty? The answer is yes. So we're all guilty. That's the point. Let's keep going with Paul's comment. If you don't keep the keep it because the in crowd all does Sunday, and I want to be with the in crowd, you'd uh, period. You'd rather follow man's tradition rather than what is has been written down for you. That is not okay. Just want to make sure I understand the statement. Anytime there is intentional sin, I think that, and I think that ultimately we've all. I mean, I think every person has thought to themselves, "I should, I probably shouldn't do this," or. You know, I don't think every every person is is guilty of at some point knowing that they're doing something wrong and doing it anyway. Lying, um, talking ill of someone, I think that everyone has done this. And yes, that is wrong, absolutely. Once again, does that mean that a person is going to hell because they've they've knowingly done a sin, committed a sin? I don't think so. Do you want to talk on that before we go to Clayton's? No, I think that's. I think you did a great job. Okay, um, Clayton says essentially the same thing. He says if you are uh, if you are willingly ignorant of the laws of God, for instance, the Sabbath, that's not a matter of salvation? Question mark. If you know to wait, do, wait, 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 willingly ignorant. Yeah. 
So I don't I, know. I, uh, and and this is where we're going to get into some dicey uh, waters. And the reason why is because we, I would. I, what is willingly ignorant? Yeah. If someone is, je- if someone is, I'd have to. I'd have to understand that better. Of what willing. Now, is that like? Was it in the with Galileo? They refused to look through the telescope. Would that be an example of of willing ignorance? Uh, I, my he, understanding of ignorance is it's not with it. It, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. So, Sorry. well, he gives the, he gives, he says, for instance, the Sabbath. Okay. So let, let's go, let's go to where I think this person, and I don't want to speak for Clayton here, so I'm, I'm not going to, but where I think most, most Torah observant believers would go with this is to say, well, the church knows, the church has been told that the Sabbath is on Saturday and that we should keep the Sabbath as the, the scriptures clearly state Yet they willingly don't do it. They will. They are willingly ignorant about it. I don't think that that's right. I think that within Christianity, what happens is people's teachers have told them, "No, this has been done away with," or Yeshua fulfilled this. It's no longer necessary. That's not being willingly ignorant. That's genuinely believing something. They, okay, because here, here I could say this, and just to push the point, if if believers in Yeshua do not know Greek or do not know Hebrew. But yet, there's opportunities all throughout the world to learn Hebrew and Greek. Are they willingly ignorant? Ooh. Are you willingly ignorant in that you don't read Biblical Hebrew or you don't read Biblical Greek? Are you willingly ignorant by by going to English translations all the time? I I don't see. I I don't know that that's a fair assessment. Right. I think what 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 I'm hearing Caleb say, which I agree with, is. This is a this is a, a complicated subject because we have centuries of different institutions, right? Even the ones that agree that the Sabbath is quote not to be kept disagree on, you know, the the of course we know the Roman Church wants to say yeah we changed it, and then you have like the Lutheran tradition that says no. No, you didn't. The Sabbath is really still Saturday, but we, in virtue of Christian liberty, don't keep it, right? So the, even, even the traditions about Sunday are thick and right and can be really messy. So what, what I realize is that, you know, humans are, we're, we're, we're tough nuts to crack, it's it's just like Yeshua and the hand washing, right? That the the idea of hand washing had become in this whatever in this Pharisaic circles had become so taken for granted. It's this is what it means to be us. And they were judging other Jews for for not doing it. And they thought they were in the right. Right. Yeah, they thought they were just in in saying, look, you guys aren't doing this. As if it was a commandment of God. Okay, so if that's true in the first century, it's going to be true throughout history. It's going to be true because human hearts are dull. And my heart's dull just as much as anybody else. And it takes work. It, it, it takes, there, there's a lot of work to do in the kingdom. There's a lot of, you know, like Yeshua says, you know, the labors are few, but the harvest is plenty. So, I just I'm I'm not okay putting you know blanket statement judgments about someone being you know willingly ignorant. It's it's about soul by it's a soul by soul basis, right? And and the Bible likens us to sheep, and and the pastors are the shepherds, and um, we're we're in a, a situation where we might think, oh, I have insight about this particular, uh, you know, understanding covenantal relationship. And I mean, I think back, uh, Caleb, to your father, Tim Haig, when he wrote his, his uh, THM thesis about the Abrahamic covenant, like it wasn't received well <laughs> by, the, by the overseers of the, of the, you know, the readers, by the committee. Because it challenged, it it was a view, it advocated an understanding and a framework for understanding God's people that was at, not, well, at odds or not in alignment with the institution that was granting the degree. 
so so this is a and I, I remember right one of his teachers stood up for him and said look we got to you know <laughs> he did the work and and I don't he can tell that story but it's a, it is about shaping individuals. And then as we interact, are we bringing forth the fruits of the spirit in our interaction with other believers who don't see things the way we do that? I think God is more concerned with how do we behave in those situations? Yeah. And uh, is more important because God's going to, it'll all come out. Or Yeshua says, there's nothing, nothing hidden that won't, won't be revealed. Right. right. It, we're, it's all going to be clear in the end. And if someone genuinely trusts in Jesus, then, then they're going to get there. It's, it's, uh, but it's not for us. It's not necessarily on our, the timetable we expect. It's never on, we, you know, we want things right now. We want it now. We want it, you know, cheap and easy. So, um, okay. He goes on. If you know to do right and don't do it, isn't that dangerous? And the answer is sure. Absolutely. That's sin. But the point is, is that the idea of the Sabbath, those, I mean, look, if you have somebody who comes into a congregation and says, yes, the Sabbath, I, I've been, I've been shown the scripture clearly says that the Sabbath should be kept. And then they end up leaving that congregation saying, ah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Now we might have something to talk about, but when you're talking about the Christian church, those people are not willingly ignorant. They genuinely believe that the Sabbath doesn't need to be kept. Or that they have freedom in Christ and, the, and that, that that it's been done away with. So he says there is a difference between between sinning unintentionally and sinning willfully. Yeah. Here's here's the greater problem on that note is teachers that have misrepresented the word of God. Right. Right? Like by by that's that's where it's like, ooh. Because you know, Caleb, you teach the Word of God. I teach the Word of God, right? We have a we at Torah Resource have a whole team that we're saying, look, we have we we want to teach the Word of God. We want to teach you about what God's Word says, but that we shake in our shoes as the responsibility that that is. Uh, that it's not something that we take lightly, and that's why just to plug to our resources because it's why we advocate the core skills that the reformers advocated right. language, the language of the word of God, the history and uh, independence from institutional traditions, such as the reformers had to separate from the institutional uh, Roman Catholic church. So um, yeah, this is, it, it, the responsibility of those who are telling people it's done away with, trust me, it's done away with. That's something between them and the Lord. Right. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a fearful thing to be, to stand before the Lord and he's, and he's going to say, you misrepresented me. You misrepresented my word. That's a, that's a, that should really sober us up. No doubt. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Great discussions in the chat room. Thank you very much. Uh, make sure to give us a call if you'd like to and leave a message. Let us know what you think. Um, you can always let us know what you think in the comments on the YouTube videos that we make. Uh, we love to hear from you and we read every comment. We also listen to every single comment on the comment line. And we read all of our emails. Cheg at Torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G -G at Torresource.com. I have a... Uh, um, I do have some some things that we have not talked about yet. If you have written us or left a comment or something and we haven't responded and you want us to respond, definitely shoot us an email, let us know, and we'll uh, see if it's something that we want to discuss on the show. Please do not forget to subscribe. It actually does help us, believe it or not. I know it sounds weird, but it does help us. So if you are listening to this and uh, you're on YouTube and you have not yet, click the subscribe button. Click it now and we will love you forever. That's right. We will love you forever. All right. Uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Yeah.